Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Gresham's Leadership Podcast. My name is Dr. Adam Richardson, and I will be your host. I'm excited for this third episode as we turn to the students now. So the students on the program have been tasked with uh, interviewing someone who inspires them. And over the coming weeks, we're going to hear from a wide variety of different characters. So first of all, Katie, who just uh, joined the school this year in the sixth form, is going to interview her old sociology teacher, Francis, and they are going to discuss women in leadership, amongst other things. So let's hear what they have to say. Today we're going to be talking about uh, women in leadership and also a little bit about a black, Asian and minority ethnic group. So I'm going to be interviewing a sociologist, Frances Smith, who's worked in 10 schools over the last 30 years, both in the UK and overseas. And she now teaches in rural Norfolk. Uh, would you like to add anything or should I just start with the questions? No, that will do. Thank you very much for inviting me, Katie. I'm looking forward to chatting to you. So the first question is something I see a lot about on Twitter, <laughs> a lot of arguments, and it's, is gender equality and racism still a problem in 2020? And I see a lot of things on Twitter where people think it's not a problem in England at the moment. So I was wondering what you thought about that. Okay, um, it's a great question. Um, I'm sad to say I'm afraid um, inequalities of various sorts are still alive and well. Obviously, as a sociologist, um, it's my business to be looking at the data and the data around um, surrounding inequalities to do with black and minority ethnic people, I'm afraid, is, is just there to behold. Um, my particular interest, as you know, is um, inequalities in, in, in education. Um, I was recently reading some research um, carried out by Becky Francis, who um, is a sociologist who I have hold in high regard, and she did some work on um, grouping, ability grouping, setting, and um, she discovered, I mean she suspected that this was the case, but she was shocked at the extent to which it was the case, that particularly young black boys from black Caribbean heritage in particular were being misallocated to low ability sets, even if they'd done quite well at key stage two. And we're just being dumped into into bottom bottom sets in schools and their frustration and disappointment you know understandably um led to sort of yeah. low, low behavior underachievement and very high rates of school exclusions and then those are the children who are out on the streets at the mercy of the county lines gangs you know and that's where it starts and then you know the, the figures for stop and search there was a new report released today i don't know if you saw it Not yet. but um <laughs> particularly young black Caribbean men, nine times more likely to be stopped and searched than young white men. I mean, it's, it's scary, really. Yeah, that's a As big gender, figure. Yeah, I know, nine times. It's, yeah. Um, and as for gender inequality, well, you know, where to start, really? Um, I, think, I think things have changed. I think things are different um, from what they were. I mean, I was <laughs> lucky enough to remember the 70s. Um, I was born in 1964. And I think the gender inequality is different now. I think there are different issues. Um, obviously, we've had things like Equal Pay Act was passed in 1970, uh, Sex Discrimination Act passed in 1975. You know, so on the surface of, of things, things have changed. But uh, I mean, the gender pay gap is alive and well. The the uh, rate of pay being received at the minute in this country by Bangladeshi women is is 
shocking. They are the lowest paid group. So yeah, I'm afraid, Katie, I could talk about that for several hours without <laughs> breath, but yeah. I'll stop there. Well, that's kind of what the whole interview is about, so that's good. So the next question is, do you think the primary socialisation of children affects their aspirations in the future? And for people listening who might not know what primary socialisation is, um, I will attempt to define it. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like our families teaching us the norms and values of society when we're younger absolutely yeah um do you know it's it's a topic that in, over the last few years i've become very interested in um not least because i've become a grandmother i have a four-year-old grandson two-year-old granddaughter and i see the way they're being socialized actually is different from each other um it's very gendered um socialization um, that their parents are, are carrying out the the boy is very aware of being a boy and that girls things are inferior um and you know that's just what he's being told is what he's being taught he doesn't want to play with pink toys because he's been told they're girl toys um you know scary really i think maybe it's something that parents do without realizing they're doing Often, it yeah yeah, often, and if they walk into a toy shop, you know, they'll go towards the blue toy aisle is obviously the boy aisle, or, you know, the blue to the blue clothing aisle is the, the boy's clothing. Um, so, yeah, without often thinking about it, but I, th I think th some parents are very aware of the way they're socialising their children, um, you know, in good ways and bad ways. Uh, I was reading some research recently, um, parents reading bedtime stories to their children, but the, they're not just reading them for fun, you know, to have a cuddle before bedtime, actually um, using that um, experience to teach their children how to talk, how to respond, you know, sort of turn taking, responding to tag questions, you know, so they're using the, the experience of the bedtime story as a way to socialise their child into speaking in, um, you know, what we know to be called the elaborate, elaborated code so that children can use higher tier vocabulary and they can form interesting sentence constructions, conditional sentences, um, um, that sort of thing. You know, and children are being taught that at a very young age through their interactions with their parents. So it's not, not accidental. Uh, whereas other parents are just reading books for fun and having, you know, and as I say, having cuddles before bedtime. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel mm. like a lot of people don't know about it. And then the next question, so I was reading an article about this on uh, BBC News, so it's the business group CBI has said the biggest UK firm should have at least one black Asian minority ethnic member on their boards by 2021. And I was wondering what your view is on this statement. Very, very tricky because I do believe um, representation is important. Uh, if, um, you hear people say things like, if you can't see it, then you can't be it. Um, and for young um, people growing up to see that, you know, young black, Asian, minority ethnic people can be in, you know, the top jobs is important, but it's not enough on its own. Um, I mean, you only have to look at what's going on in, in government at the moment. We've got government ministers who are from, from black and minority ethnic backgrounds. Um, that's not tackling the structural racism in society. On the contrary, uh, at the moment, there's quite a row going on about that. I don't know if you saw what Kemi Bardenock said the other day. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I won't go into that. But, you know, she's, um, you know, a successful black woman. But to my mind, denying 
um, you know, the structural racism that, that exists in society. Um, the meritocracy that is in place allows some people to rise to the surface. So people coming from perhaps positions of, um, you know, more challenging positions. They weren't born with a silver spoon in their mouth or they don't belong to a sort of an elite group, but they uh, manage to rise up to the top of society. But there's always going to be a few people. Once more than a few start doing it, those doors will close and the drawbridge will be pulled up. Yeah. And I think it's the same with companies, going back to your original question, um, having one uh, black Caribbean man, for example, on the, the board of um, a FTSE 100 firm um, is, is one thing. But once you get to seven or eight, they would start to panic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that in itself is not enough. It's a start, um, but it's not enough. Definitely. It's kind of like they're trying to solve a problem and move on by just having yeah. one person. But, can yeah. Be. yeah. And then, so do you think appearance affects women's attainment of leadership roles? I've seen quite a bit about women having to wear maybe high heels or dress a certain way. And do you think this has an effect? Probably. <laughs> you know me well enough to imagine what I, I feel about that. Um, I think there are some jobs where it would be very, you know, careers, professions, where it'd be very difficult not to take those things into account. Obviously, it's built into some um, professions like air stewardess, stewardess, you have to dress in a certain very gendered way. But I think um, it's more than that. And I think, um, for example, women MPs are held to scrutiny for what they're wearing in a way that male MPs are not, for example, um, women presenters on um, the, in the media you know, are judged on what they're wearing. I mean, who, who knows or cares what, you know, Jon Snow or Johnson <laughs> are wearing. Um, but people can talk about the clothes that, you know, women yeah, presenters. I definitely wear. notice newspaper headlines calling out what women are wearing a lot more than the male yeah. people. But um, this is another question about women in the workplace. And... Um, I think it's kind of about double standards and why are women in the workplace sometimes called like too aggressive or if they're just yeah. trying to get a promotion <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult behavior that can be associated um, positively with men is associated negatively with women. Um, I've, I've fallen foul of this many a time and often <laughs> I've been called um, too aggressive. Um, even on Twitter, quite recently um uh, a man who who I, I had looked up to uh, um didn't like the way i think that i was pushing my views forward he didn't agree with them and i just said you know well you've got the option of muting me or blocking me you know you don't need to follow me on twitter and he messaged back and said that was unnecessarily aggressive well no i wasn't being aggressive i was just stating a fact you know yeah. don't like what i'm saying don't follow me it's optional it's a public forum um and yes i mean i've been around schools for long enough i've been teaching for about 30 years and um i've been told to sort of you know wind my neck in on more than one occasion whereas a man can sit there banging on the table and gets away with it um you know i think we just have to keep fighting against it really i've i've heard people say many many times that when a really incompetent woman is in charge you know that you've achieved gender equality because you know women have to be 10 times better than men and everything but then we have had incompetent women in charge so yeah difficult i don't know i've, I've got mixed feelings about it but i think i think you're right i think there is an issue there yeah, and women have definitely. at least they have 
police their own language they have to police their behavior um and i always used to teach... change themselves for yeah. other yeah. people yep I used to teach English language A level, as you know, and I used to um, teach the gender topic there, the gender and language. And there are all these kind of misconceptions about how women talk more and they interrupt men more. But when you actually record meetings, you know, on Zoom meetings, and many people have, it's not the women doing the interrupting, <laughs> you know, so there's all these myths around women's speech. So, yeah. And then how do you see the influence of gender roles in attainment of leadership positions okay um what exactly do you mean by that i think i know what you mean but so just maybe how women and men are stereotyped men see, men are seen as they were more dominant um, women are seen as they have to uh, listen to orders and that kind of thing yeah, obviously, um, as I said earlier, that I think things have moved on since the 70s. And obviously, there are an awful lot more women in senior positions than there used to be. But I still think that some people would rather see a man in charge. I've heard many people say they'd rather work for a male boss than a female boss. Many, many people say that. Um, if a woman has got to the top, often, you know, she's had to sort of <laughs> fight to get there and climb, you know, sort of climb over people in the way that perhaps a man wouldn't have to. And, you know, then she has a reputation and all this stuff. It's, yeah, it's, it's tricky. I was actually speaking to somebody um, at my school the other day, a woman who's in, um, she's head of department, head of a big department in the school. And um, she's got two small children. She was told when she had her first child, well, obviously you're not that ambitious then as if to say you can't you know have children and and have a senior role in the school or, or you know a middle management role in the school i just think it's easier for men to progress up that ladder i teach um sociology at a level and one of the things i teach is the what's called the um parent labor trap and also the motherhood penalty that when a woman gets to um maybe age 30 and has her first child you know doors close and, it, and, and it's difficult it's difficult that's quite interesting because my next question was going to be how does having children affect a woman's role at work and should it affect their role some people may argue that it's fair because the women have to look after the children at home but should it be this way or? well um <laughs> again i'm sure you <laughs> can imagine what i think about that um i mean i teach about uh that the, the gender socialization from the 1950s talcott parsons and his his crew um that the man would should take the instrumental role which was working outside the home for money and the woman should take the expressive role working inside the home doing pretty well everything else um and i can remember when i studied that at a level which was in 1980 sorry that dates me um i can remember thinking well you know i wouldn't mind doing the instrumental role i don't have a problem with segregated roles just as long as i could do the instrumental role um and in fact when when i married um, my husband was a widower, we already had a little boy. Um, he did stay at home with our son when he was young and I carried on working. Um, I think it's good if somebody is at home with the child um, when they're first born, but it, I don't think it has to be the mother by any means. I've recently been doing some research into um, shared parental leave. I don't know if you know, but um, we have a policy now in the UK of um, shared parental leave where, where fathers have the option of taking some parental leave. And it's only had a 2% uptake in this country. Only 2%? Like, wow. 2%, I know. And you go somewhere like Sweden, and that's the norm. 
um, because they have a use it or lose it policy. Whereas if the father doesn't take up um, some of the, the, the weeks, then, then the couple lose them, the mother doesn't get them. Obviously we're talking very binary ways here, we're talking about heterosexual couples, but um, that's the policy in Sweden. And apparently um, families time it so that the, um, the woman gives birth sort of late summer so that the fathers, you know, can all kind of bunch together and be fathers together for a month. <laughs> it's quite interesting. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but I think it's true in perhaps in big cities, you know, when they, they, they're known, people look out for them. They see groups of fathers coming with pushchairs. I think it's great. That's really but interesting. No, I, I think there are issues and the expectation is that the woman, if she then goes back to work, will go back to work part time or in a role which is perhaps doesn't have any management responsibility so for example a head of year in a school would then go back just as a main scale teacher and not as head of year um, so you can fit around the kids and I, it doesn't have to be the woman doing that obviously there are certain things that the women can do more effectively than men breastfeeding is one of them um, but you know that's really only the first few months and even then you can bottle feed you know um, it yeah. really have to be the mother i think it's good if the child has somebody there you know who cares about them very much for the first few months but it doesn't have to be the mum i think it's a maybe an issue as well in nursery schools there's a lot yeah. less male teachers and yeah female teachers. yeah that there are very very few men working in um early years education um the, the data clearly shows that that men who do work in primary schools tend to be the year six teacher or the head teacher, deputy head teacher, though they're in a role of, you know, management within the school or they're the year six teacher, which is the key stage two SATs, which has all the status, etc. You don't get many men teaching year two, year three, year one, two, three. Not many, some, but not many. I think maybe, which is wrong, a lot of parents might feel uncomfortable with their, having younger kids with a male teacher I was watching a, like a documentary about it on YouTube and I think really? that's a stereotype which shouldn't be shouldn't be there no that's worrying isn't it really very worrying mm. yeah I don't believe that that women are more biologically suited to parenting than men I just don't believe it uh, they're obviously more biologically suited to giving birth but parenting no I don't agree bit controversial that Katie <laughs> <laughs> and then to kind of start summing up the interview in your opinion what is the maybe biggest thing holding women back from the top rules at work lack of universal childcare. Uh, once a child reaches certainly the age of about two they shouldn't be worrying about childcare anymore the childcare should just be in place and the state should be funding it um, it's been done in other places, it's absolutely doable, but it's a financial priority. Um, and sort of in tandem with that, um, social care for um, older people as well. Um, I actually read somewhere a terrifying article I read, I think in the Telegraph, um, last year saying that it was actually government policy that women with older parents or parents-in-law should be thinking of going part-time in their 50s so that they can be looking after their, you know, elderly parents or in-laws again it does not have to be the woman that does that and it and it isn't always but that seems to be the expectation um the care should be in place the government promised um a social care green paper in 2017 we haven't heard a word about it got swallowed up in brexit and obviously now in the current malarkey 
Um, <laughs> not going to so, happen anytime soon. No. So yeah, that's you know that those social care demands should be taken on families, so that people can go out and work, and you know keep the economy going and pay the taxes. And then lastly, to the people listening to this podcast, what is something you think everyone can do to help create more equality? Just maybe something small. Mm, that's a it's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think. Study sociology. <laughs> Study sociology. <laughs> Educate yourself. Uh, there are books out there which I will open people's eyes. There's one called The Home Stretch by Sally Howard, which talks about couples who does the domestic labour, you know, or things I've been talking about, like, you know, the parenthood trap and everything. You know, educate yourselves, find out what's actually going on. I mean, I've said to A level, classes of A level students quite recently, you know, you, you can think that this is just a textbook topic, but girls in the room, when you hit 30, if you're in a, you know, relationship and you're planning to have children, you're going to discover that you and the fella you're with, if you're with a bloke, you've got different chances and different futures ahead of you. And you may not realise, so start educating yourself now. And obviously, as I said, that's a very binary approach. Obviously, we haven't talked about um, same-sex couples or people who are non-binary or non-gender conforming. But thank you for this interview. It was really interesting and quite eye-opening. I hope maybe people listening can take something away from the interview and learn from it. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I hope so. I hope they don't just think, oh, she's really opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> Too aggressive. <laughs> Too aggressive. Yep. Okay, a big thank you to Francis and Katie there for taking the time um, to have our interview. And I'm very glad to be joined with uh, joined by Katie now. And I'm just gonna take a moment or two to ask Katie a couple of questions um, about the interview and how she thought it went. So, um, hello, Katie. Hi. Hi, Katie. So I just wanted to ask you really, I mean, what were, the, what were your main takeaways from the interview? It's very interesting. What did you take away from it? Um, I think hearing all the problems which sounded quite normal and I think a lot of people I think they sound quite normal I think the way society is at the moment is too normalized and it's not wrong to want change and I think that more people should be aware of current issues and current affairs and pay more attention to it. Hmm, it's really interesting I mean she's a very interesting character Frances like what, what was it that um, inspired you to interview her? Well, I knew her because she was my sociology teacher in high school. And I think that a lot of the things she says are quite important. And I think problems are just accepted. Like there's always white men being the leaders of businesses. And I hope that if more people take notice to it, then it will be easier for it to change. Very good. And so, and like you, so that she was your teacher at a, at a previous school and now you've, you've joined Gresham's. Like, do you find that she sort of piqued your interest? Like, are you still following these issues now? Uh, definitely. I've developed my own opinions more from reading or just my own experiences now. And I've found that the subject of sociology has actually come in quite useful for the other subjects I'm studying now, like English and history. Hmm, yeah, very good. And I guess a lot of the a lot of the sort of movements we've seen recently, like Black Lives Matter and things like that, just become all the more sort of front and center. 
Yeah, and, definitely. And I think like, I guess, sort of closer to home in terms of what schools can be doing, like, I mean, where do you, like, you've obviously seen two different um, secondary schools, like, I mean, do you think schools are doing what they need to do to inspire girls to become leaders of the future? I don't think schools are being terrible at it. I think there's definitely been more of a movement recently to inspire more girls, but that doesn't mean they couldn't do more. My old school had a lot of women in higher up positions, which I think was really good. There was lots of like science teachers as well. One thing I've noticed here at Gresham's as well is there's only one female maths teacher which I feel like there could be more but maybe it's a problem of there not being enough to hire and if that is the case then there should be more encouragement of girls into maths and science and um, my friend who does a lot of science subjects she said there was a trip previously at Gresham's for like a woman in STEM trip which I think is really good and it would maybe be interesting to have some more talks maybe in chapel on women in STEM, especially with the younger years who are still yet to pick their subjects. They might be more interested in it and see about their future more. Yeah, it's interesting, and especially with the new STEAM building arriving. You, you hope that these conversations are had more about how we want to encourage everyone, I guess, to get more into it um, as we try and develop the subjects more at the school. Yeah. Very good, Katie. Well, listen, thank you very much. It's really interesting. And uh, I guess, thank you very much for um, being our first, really our first podcast with content um, <laughs> provided by the students themselves. So uh, I think these issues that you're just talking about, I think we should all be talking about more. And I hope that uh, we can act as a little bit of a conversation starter. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so there we have it, folks. This has been the Gresham's Leadership Podcast, episode three. Uh, thank you for listening.